Hello there. Hello there. Hello, what have we here? Hello there, and thank you for joining me. This is Daniel Talks About Star Wars, the show where I do exactly as that name suggests. I, of course, am the titular Daniel, and today we're exploring some new territory. Well, I suppose we sort of did that for the last couple of episodes as well, but this is even more new territory now, as we're looking at our very first graphic novel slash trade paperback slash comic book series, and it's one that I've been wanting to read for quite a while now, because it's always interested me, just the imagery of it from what I'd seen prior had always sort of piqued my interest. I'm of course talking about, because obviously you've seen the title, uh, Star Wars Crimson Empire, which was a limited run of, I want to say, six issues. I'm not entirely sure. It was either five or six issues. The the the, the um, collection of it that I've just read that does sort of come in the graphic novel form does something that I'm not a huge fan of, where it like misses out the covers and stuff of the individual issues, so you don't actually know at what point you're starting a new issue. Like, it just collects it as, as if it were sort of one long graphic novel, which, of course, it wasn't to begin with. It was, as I said, five or six issues. Released in 1999, and it was under Dark Horse Comics at the time, of course, because uh, Marvel had since relinquished the license, or, well... I, I don't know, I, I don't suppose it was their decision, probably, or... I'm not sure how that transition from Marvel to Dark Horse came about, but yeah, it was Dark Horse, and of course, Marvel no longer had it, and of course, they had not since uh, gotten it again, because of course, that didn't happen uh, until Disney uh, purchased Lucasfilm, that's when it went back to Marvel. It was by Mike Richardson, Randy Stradley, Paul Galacy, Galacy, not entirely sure how to pronounce his surname, and P. Craig Russell... And Dave Dorman, those are who are credited on the graphic novel, although I'm not entirely sure what role uh, each of them played in its production. But yes, those are the minds behind this graphic novel. And it's an interesting one, because obviously it's capitalising on sort of one of those things in Star Wars, one of the many things in Star Wars that's kind of like the the, the same camp that someone like Boba Fett, well, I suppose arguably not anymore, but once fell into, uh, I suppose the argument could be made and is made by some people for Darth Maul. A personal example for me would be with the Death Troopers uh, in recent canon but it's it's just that kind of star wars character if you even want to go that far and use the word character that's it's all visual they can't they just look cool and that's why they have as big a fan base as they do and in this case it's the emperor's royal guard which to be fair isn't even one sort of when you have those discussions about those types of characters they're not even one that really i hear pop up very much you know so this is kind of a uh a niche sort of section of uh, characters to kind of spin off an entire series on. But, you know, it, 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 but it did work because, I mean, as I said, you know, this is something that's always kind of piqued my curiosity. And as far as I'm aware, the Crimson Empire series does uh, continue after this, not in a, in a major way, like it's not an ongoing series of any kind, but I do believe... Crimson Empire 2 and 3 are a thing. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's popular and, and well-received enough 
to warrant sequels and the like. But there's always a kind of uh, risk when you want to tackle something like that, you know, kind of those faceless uh, cool guys, because you run the risk of kind of exposing just how hollow and empty they really are as characters. But I suppose if done well enough, then actually you are improving and sort of uh, adding an extra dimension or perhaps an extra couple of dimensions and layers to these once faceless characters. And I suppose the question now is, does Crimson Empire do that? And it's a difficult question to answer. Well, actually, I suppose that particular question, I would say yes, it it does succeed in that regard. My problems with Crimson Empire lie in other aspects of it. So I suppose I will uh, ad- address uh, that question first, though. You know, what, what does... What does Crimson Empire do for these characters, the Emperor's Royal Guards? You know, how does it kind of expand upon that lore and those characters? The book follows a man named Kyrkanos, and I'm not 100% sure if that's how you pronounce his name. That's how I've always heard his name pronounced, so that's what I've always gone with, but it's spelt K-I-R. K-A-N-O-S. So Kier, or like Kerr, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Kier Kanos sounds a bit better than Kerr Kanos, so we'll stick with Kier, um, who is part of the Emperor's Elite squadron of, of guards that we never actually, of course, see do anything in uh, Return of the Jedi, where they first appear. And it takes place after the events of Return of the Jedi, and after quite a bit of the... the um, you know, the stories that came after that. I think there are references to what happened previously here, and from my limited knowledge, it it looks as if this takes place after Dark Empire, or maybe the Dark Empire sequel, potentially, if there's a couple... I know there's a Dark Empire 2, but but yeah, um, because there's reference to all, uh, like, Palpatine's clones and how that's what he did to survive after Return of the Jedi. He used clones, and that's Dark Empire, as far as I'm aware. So I think this book must take place shortly after that. So I'm not sure where in the timeline it puts it. You know, maybe five to ten years. Probably not ten. It's more closer to five years after Return of the Jedi. You know, but I'm just guessing there. So, of course, the Empire is not in the best place, and, of course, these royal guards have no emperor to protect anymore. So I suppose, what does Kyrkanos want? What does he do? And that's kind of what Crimson Empire explores. I suppose, just to give a little bit more context, I'll read the blurb, which is as follows. In all the empire, there are no more fearsome warriors than the emperor's imperial guard, and none is more loyal than Kyrkanos. But when Karna Jax, the most formidable of this elite brotherhood, betrays the Emperor and orders the murder of the guard, Kier must escape to carry out his duty to avenge his master. Devoted to the last, Kier must nonetheless ally himself with rebel forces to help him attain his retribution in the face of the Empire's full might brought down to destroy him. For Kier Kanos, the last loyal Imperial Guard and the final threat to Jax's rise to power, there are no alternatives. Loyalty never dies. So yes, as that blurb does point out, 
There is another member of the Royal Guard, a man named Karna Jax, and he has caused the extermination of the rest of the Royal Guard, so it's just him and Keir Kanos left. And it also alludes to the fact that he, uh, this Karna Jax character, does betray the Emperor in some way, which I'll get on to uh, in a little bit, because there's some strange, and I'm not sure entirely necessary, retconning going on there. But yeah, we'll get to that. So, the main man himself, Keir Kanos, I really enjoyed him as a character. He's not a huge presence throughout the book, surprisingly, even though it kind of is his story, but I think it works better like that. He is kind of those, uh, one of those, like, stoic, silent... Well, he's not he's not silent, but he he's not doesn't say much, you know, he's just sort of this man on a mission. He's he doesn't have much in, in the way of personality other than this uh cause that he is just entirely devoted to, and that's kind of his singular purpose. So he's not a particularly multifaceted character, but it, it it's it's balanced well with obviously surrounding him with characters that have a little bit more personality, and then he kind of just pops in and out when he needs to, to drive the story along. And I think that was a good way to tackle it, because even though he, you know, arguably, well, not arguably, he is the main character of this book, sort of keeping him on the side in a role the size of a supporting character, I think benefits him and the the sort of enjoyment that is to be had out of this book, because staying with him constantly, you know, could probably get kind of boring after a while, since there isn't a whole lot going on. But um, what there is, as I said, like, he he has this just singular purpose, and that is just this undying loyalty to the Emperor, who is, of course, dead, but of course that's what leads him on this sort of mission of his in the first place. Basically, what's happened is Carnajax. Well, there's this whole sort of council that I didn't entirely understand. I think it's just made up of, like, various imperial people in the Empire that had enough rank, but obviously, you know, weren't top dogs. They've kind of formed this council and I'm not sure if they're all just out to kind of stab each other in the back. It kind of, it probably would be that way, but I suppose they're kind of ruling the Empire as it is at the moment together, but of course that's never going to last, and, you know, we have characters like this Karna Jax who is just out to seize control of the Empire himself, um, and he's been planning it for a while, because it's it's revealed that he he paid the the emperor's doctor who manufactured the emperor's clones to basically oh what did he do something to like either actually kill the clones or make them defective like just something that would mean that the emperor couldn't properly return now that is feels like a a retcon to me even though i've not read Dark Empire 2 or whatever book comes previously to this. So I um, imagine that there's no reference to any Carnajax character in those books. So it is a bit of an odd inclusion, like a a strange kind of detail to throw in. But I suppose at the end of the day, they had to have something to make it so that Carnajax did betray the Emperor in some way. The rest of the Royal Guard 
as far as I can remember, discover this, and that's why Carnajax has them all killed. Kirkanos is the only survivor, and yeah, that's what those are the events that lead him on his journey. But what I really liked about Kirkanos is that he just has such integrity, and and like he's steadfast in his belief and his his loyalty to the to this dead emperor and to the empire that he was once a part of and the book ends quite uh, surprisingly and i really enjoyed this with not only him successfully killing carnage axe but with him also offing one of like the rebels that he's had to team up with throughout the book you know so that's so to us the reader you know that's one of the good guys and he just kills him because <laughs> he's like you know we're not friends and and he he's been saying that throughout the entire book he's like listen guys i'm not on your side we have a common enemy at the moment because throughout the book carnajax is trying to also capture the last royal guard kirkanos so it's kind of this thing where they're chasing after each other and trying to kill each other um and so because of that kanos teams up with the rebels in the book but yeah the whole time is just like once we're done we're done you know we're not we're not allies you know we're just both trying to get away and also get to Carnajax. And he stays true to his word. I, I really appreciate the fact that there's not some kind of, like, imperial character defects to the rebels, or in this case, the New Republic, given the timeline. Because um, there's an awful lot of that in Star Wars, of imperial characters just turning to the other side, turning to the good guys, because, you know, that's what... That means they're good now. So I just really like the fact that Kirkanos doesn't do that and he's just like okay I've killed Carnajax but there's still a lot more people I need to go and sort out and I think he's referring to the rest of the council I do believe Crimson Empire 2 has the subtitle Council of Blood so that must be the council to which it is referring to so I assume the sequel is him taking out the rest of the council which is pretty cool that does that does interest me actually so yeah, I really liked that about him. There's some backstory as well on the sort of training process of the Royal Guards. That was okay, I suppose. You know, it was it was what you'd expect, really, just a kind of uh, cutthroat training academy. I suppose my issues with that was more around the design of it, because they're all dressed like characters from Mortal Kombat, <laughs> um, which was really distracting. It didn't look particularly... Star Warsy, but yeah, that was uh, nice just to see and to have that sort of fleshed out. You know, what do these characters do to kind of become the best of the best? And speaking of of that as well, there are a few action scenes sprinkled throughout the book where Kirkanos just like wipes the floor with like armies and armies of of stormtroopers. It's really cool to see actually, um, and to to see these characters that. Or to see this type of character, rather, because it is just him. Uh, that, you know, f before, all we saw was them just stand around and look fancy. You know, it is cool to actually see them in action. And he really is just like... He's like John Wick, you know? <laughs> he's, just, he's, he's just, like, taking them out left, right, and centre. Like, he's so clean and precise, and, and, and that was actually really cool to see. It's the very same reason that Ryan Johnson wanted the Praetorian Guards in The Last Jedi to actually do something, because, you know, the, the Royal Guards in, in The Empire, not The Empire Strikes Back, in Return of the Jedi, you, you know, they did just stand around, so it's nice to actually, yeah, see them 
well, again, sorry, just just him, <laughs> Kirkanos, in action in this, and and when it came to to that and 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 the action, the book was very just show don't tell, which of course makes sense because this is comic book, so it is a very visual medium. So yeah, that really uh, was a highlight. To be fair, the whole book was kind of it did tick all the right boxes for me. You know, I enjoyed the characters, well, most of the characters, um, we'll get onto the one in particular that I didn't like very much, uh, in a minute, but yeah, I, you know, for the most part, I liked all the characters, I enjoyed the story, I like how it unfolded, for whatever reason, it was just the execution of it that really didn't gel with me. First, I'll talk about the art, and I'm not one to say that, like, the art is bad or anything, because it's not, and, you know, these people that do these things are much more talented than I'll ever be. Um, it just wasn't particularly to my taste. Um, I do prefer when I'm reading comics for the art to be a little bit more stylized and even sort of cartoony, really. That's just kind of the style I'm into when I read comics. You know, I like things to look a bit more uh, animated rather than going for a more realistic kind of, and and not that this art is particularly going for that photorealistic kind of, you know, the features on the characters are exaggerated, particularly their eyes, you know, their eyes are quite big, but it just didn't totally work for me, I wasn't a huge fan of it, and the colouring as well, the inking was a bit flat, so they're not the most interesting pictures to look at, in my opinion, but again, when it comes to that, that, you know, that's that's going to be down to people's personal tastes, and for me, the, the art just wasn't quite there, but I think where the book really falls down is just the writing, and like I said, the broad strokes of it, it you know, it does check all the boxes for me, like, I like, I enjoy the story, and I, I enjoyed the sort of essence of the characters, but the specific writing, the dialogue, was just very clunky at times, well, a lot of the time, really, and it almost felt like a first draft. It was just like, this is what's going to happen here, and this is what this character's going to say, so it all felt very written, and just kind of, it wasn't imbued with a lot of personality, and it was all just, it, it, it was just dialogue to get across what needed to be said, if that makes any sense. And yeah, even just the way characters spoke was was very stiff and unnatural. Like, there's a lot of times where people just refer to each other as their full names for some reason. Like, but I'm thinking one that stands out in particular is a flashback uh, to the planet to Yinkor, where uh, the Royal Guard training all takes place. And Kirkanos is doing a bit of sparring with his partner. And I forget what they say to each other, but he says to his friend, you know, blah, 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 and then f finishes the sentence by saying his full name. And then the guy responds by saying, oh, yeah, blah, 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 Kirkanos. Like, he says his full name as well. And, it, and that happens <laughs> quite a lot throughout the book. And it, it's just little things like that, that it's like, people don't talk like that. Why are you doing that? I can only assume it was because, obviously, with it being released issue by issue, as it would have been originally, it was just to remind people and maybe even educate new readers on who these characters are and what's going on. So instead of trying to incorporate that sort of information naturally, it was just like, well, I'll just have them say their full names and then people will know what's going on. 
And uh, it was a lot of that, yeah, just like people reminding each other what's going on and, and what happened potentially in the previous issue and, and, and just really spelling things out. So that was a shame because I feel like if the writing was a lot more refined, this could have really been like a, a great read, which is a shame because I, I just feel like it has so much potential. This is a good idea and the ideas that they came up with within it are good as well. This character of Kirkanos is an interesting guy. The the conflict that they've set up in the, you know, this kind of ruined state that the Empire is in, and just having this last remaining guy who's sort of got nothing, like everything he believed in and everything he is loyal to is gone, and he's kind of, he just wants to destroy this bastardised version of it that it, it's sort of become, you know, that's really quite compelling, it's just a, sh- a shame that it wasn't done with a little bit more nuance, and, and uh, I just feel like the script could have had a few more passes before uh, they kind of put it out. My other big criticism with this is Connor Jacks, the villain. He's just Darth Vader. Like, he, he, you know, he's just another one of those Star Wars, like... He's all clad in black, but he's got a little bit of red on him. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's just this black-clad, evil guy who's just constantly making threats to people <laughs> and, like, saying to his subordinates that if you don't do this, then I'm going to kill you. And, you know, that's that's that. Um, I think I just explained what a threat is, <laughs> just in case none of you at home knew what that meant. Um... Yeah, so that's a a shame. He's just a really boring villain. He's got no personality whatsoever. And randomly, towards the end, it's kind of alluded to in in the middle-ish of the book, I want to say. But then at the end, it's just fully explicitly revealed that he also has the Force for some reason. So he he just is Darth Darth Vader. Like, he, I just a, a real, like, missed opportunity to have a truly... Because he, you know, he is was once a friend of Kirkanos, they show us in, in the flashbacks, and maybe there could have been more of those flashbacks to flesh out their um, relationship, more time devoted to them actually coming face-to-face at the end of the book and, and talking more before they fight. I know that, you know, at the end of the day, these are comics and, and they are made to be consumed in kind of bite-sized, you know, issues, which is maybe why some of... Which is maybe, you know, why due to time constraints and deadlines, whatever, that, you know, writers don't have the time or the opportunity to expand on things like that. But yeah, that would have gone a long way to making Carnajax a remotely interesting character. Um, Because as it stands in the book, he is just a Darth Vader clone and he just makes idle threats and looks intimidating. And I also just think... Um, it should have been longer. It should have been longer than, than the five or six ish- issues that it was. And, y- you know, that's not me trying to, to blame the writers or anything. I'm sure that it was probably, you know, Dark Horse. Um, you know, they said, okay, you want to tell this story? You know, they probably pitched the story and they were like, okay, well, you've got f- five, six issues to tell it. That That's how much you've got. You know, I don't think the writers themselves would have been able to dictate just how many issues they would have wanted to do, how long they wanted to stretch out the story. So, it, it, you know, it's it's not their fault, I don't think, but I, I feel like with more time to just, yeah, f- like flesh out the stuff with Carnajax and, and Kirkanos and also, and maybe actually play out the events that they kind of just show in flashback 
in the book as it stands. You know, actually show us the the uh, the, the massacre of the, of the uh, the royal guards and Kirkanos making his escape. Like actually make a full scene or even an issue out of those things, just to kind of root us in in what's going on and actually give us some context because it really does drop you in it. Like it really presents characters like Karna Jax as people that you're supposed to already know about. And I could be totally, you know, maybe these are characters that even do appear in, in material prior to this. But as far as I'm aware, they are original characters for this series. So yeah, I could be wrong there, but even so, I think it would have benefited this story to actually, yeah, see those things take place. If, if it just had more room to breathe, and if the writing was a little bit more nuanced and, and better, <laughs> then I think this could have been really something. But as it stands, Crimson Empire is an okay read. It's got some good ideas and a really interesting main character. Some... You know, it is good. It is good art. I'm not going to say it's bad art. It's not particularly to my tastes, but you know, a lot of the designs are pretty cool. Some of the other designs aren't so good. You know, it's a bit of a mixed bag. This is 1999, so you know, the 90s. <laughs> you know, uh, need I say more? So some of the characters look a bit funky, but then you know, like like during those action scenes, the action scenes all look great, and when Kirkanos is throwing down. It looks great, and you get to see actually beneath his cloak and actually see the cool armour that these guys actually wear. And on the front cover of this, it it looks as if he's wearing some kind of, like, fur cape slash cloak thing, as opposed to just the normal cloth one, which I don't think he actually has in the book. But yeah, it's just... There's a lot of really cool images associated with this, and at the back they have all, like, the... I assume the covers that would have been uh, on the original issues, and I don't think the cover... Well, yeah, the covers aren't done by the same artist that actually does the, the art inside the book, and the covers are just beautiful. Um, you know, the imagery related to this series is, yeah, really something. So, yeah, as far as uh, Crimson Empire goes, I think it does succeed in kind of actually adding to, like I said earlier, these kind of faceless cool sort of characters that don't really have enough going on to even warrant calling them characters. I mean, before this, we didn't even have a character that we could even uh, relate to as one of the Imperial Guards. They were literally just background decoration. It is a worthy expansion, and and what it's going for, it does succeed in. And you know what? I'm even... I am interested to check out Crimson Empire 2, 3, and see what Kirkanos does next. You know, I am invested in his character and it's it's quite refreshing as well as I you know as I sort of did say earlier to have this guy that he's not a good guy you know he he it's admirable that he's so um you know loyal to his cause and um just so steadfast in his beliefs but at the end of the day that cause and those beliefs are the empire and and the emperor himself specifically and he's you know he's loyal to the worst man <laughs> to have ever lived so I'd be interested to see if at any point he maybe does start to not be so loyal anymore and does start to change his mind, or if he is just, like, he's just out for blood. So that is interesting to uh, think about, and yeah, I, I, I'll definitely check out Crimson Empire 2 at some point. It just, as it stands, there's some technical issues, I think, with 
the book. I think it has a lot more potential to be something really great. But who am I to say? Maybe maybe people actually really love this. And I don't mean to be like super negative about it because uh, I'm you know I am I did like it. I just think you know it could be so much more. That was Star Wars Crimson Empire, released in 1999. Can you believe it? In fact, the version I've got off eBay is one that was printed at the time. Yeah, 1998, even. 90, what? Ah, I think potentially the first, the issues of it came out in 98, but this collected, this collection of it, uh, February 1999, it says. So this is a, this is older than me <laughs> that I'm holding in my hands right now. So that's pretty cool, and uh, as far as Star Wars Legends material, because of course this isn't canon anymore, but who cares about that really? Well, a lot of people do. <laughs> um, I don't, at the end of the day, none of this is real, so if some of it is more or less real than other things, like I just don't, that distinction does not matter to me. If the stories are good, then that's all that matters. Uh, but as far as Star Wars Legends material goes, this isn't half bad, so if that's not a ringing endorsement, I don't know what is. Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna wrap it up, leave it there. Sorry uh, for this A being a shorter episode than usual, although maybe maybe that's preferred. <laughs> um, but B, this was probably very all over the place, so I do apologise. This probably won't be my finest episode. I guess I'm still trying to figure out how exactly I'm going to tackle talking about things like books and, and comics and stuff. Um, particularly, all you know, all this stuff is going to be so new to me. Um, you know, I'm exploring uncharted territory for me, so uh, I'm just coming at it with my genuine first reactions. So I haven't had years to think about it, like with the films and stuff, so please just do bear with me as I'm kind of figuring all this out. But... Um, Thank you so much for listening, and go read Crimson Empire, even though I've just ruined the entire thing. You know, it's definitely worth your time. So, that's all for now, I think. I'll be back on the 25th of this month for another episode talking about who knows what, but it'll be something Star Wars related, so look forward to it. Alright, that's all for now. Thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>